Greetings from Covenant Community of LJ, Georgia. We want to thank you for taking the time to listen to these messages God has provided to our fellowship from His Word. May He bless you richly as you seek Him. We'd like to invite you to be with us in person someday soon. And for information on that, visit us at covenantcommunitylj.com. And now, let's open up God's Word. Our God is so good, isn't He? So good. Never going to run out of reasons to worship and praise our God. And that's good news because we get to do it for eternity. So praise the Lord for that. Wow. Well, as, as we begin this morning, uh, I'll say this. We've been in the middle of this series asking this question, why church? And it's because we believe this church has a bright future. Don't you believe that? God is doing some really cool things in us. And we've been asking God to reveal what that is. And so as we've been studying God's word, searching for uh, this answer, why church, we've been going in to see God's answer to that question and why the church is so important for him, why he has set it on the earth to do what it does. And so we've been breaking down four metaphors. We initially talked about the building and then last week we talked about the bride and today uh, we are going to talk about the body. And it's because uh, we think that most people are beginning to wonder where the church fits into their life. I kind of keep reminding you of this that honestly I think some people are wondering if they need church at all. Not just where it fits in but do they need it. And this has been because society has rapidly lost trust in a lot of its institutions and a lot of its organizations, especially the bigger ones, and honestly for several legitimate reasons. And the church has provided several of its own why people might distance themselves from her. But what we know is that God loves his church. The problem is when we take this attitude in society, our distrust into the church, it's caused us to be skeptical and it's motivated us to sort of stand on the fringe of the church and evaluate the church, and we've been content to be spectators rather than really belonging to the church. We've been consumers, uh, but have been careful to just sort of be around it, but not belong to it. And there is a massive difference between showing up to watch and belonging to the church. And we're praying that this change of thinking about how we approach Our our understanding of the church, we believe it's going to change us from the inside out. And as we work together as the body, it's going to have a powerful impact on the way that we work together. We know this, is that the church is not an institution. These are things, some reminders here. It's not an institution Christians can choose to take part of. Because God has already made us part of the church. You don't get to stand on the outside and evaluate it. God put you in it. If you're in Christ, you are his body. You are the church. So we can't stand on the outside, look in. We have to engage and jump right in. So I can say this. This is really cool. Brothers and sisters. Isn't this great? We get to that next week. We're talking about family. But together, we are the church of the living God. We are the church of the living God. And and just to recap here, we've been built together like living stones. We are interdependent, interconnected with one another as we are in Christ. Christ is the cornerstone of this building, and we are his temple. We are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. We are literally a monument to the majesty of God. Isn't that beautiful? We are. But even more than that, we're proof of his incredible power. Because we have been built together because of God. I think he's sort of mortared us together 
By his mercy, by his grace, through the gospel, through the sacrifice of Christ, he has built us together into a building of people he is making holy. But we are also together the bride of Christ, and that is just a breathtaking, stunning thought, is it not? All week long, I've just allowed that to sink into my, my heart. But he's arranged a covenant and set us apart for himself. And we learned this word last week. We are betrothed to the king of kings because we are loved by him. And we believe he is washing us, according to scripture, with the word of God as making us holy in his sight, that he may present us to himself as a bride in fine white linen. Not in a righteousness that comes from the law, but one, as we know, comes from faith. He says that we will appear before him in splendor. I love that. Not, not as sort of a defeated, ragtag bunch who barely made it, but as a bride clothed in white in splendor for his glory. If you are in Christ, you are this church. I love that. So we are indeed the church of the living God. We're building, we're a bride. But we look at this, and this, this crazy, relentless love of God demands and requires a response from us, does it not? I mean, you can't get loved like that and then just kind of say, meh. Like, it changes who you are. When you see that, it radically shifts everything about us. And so we even sang it like last week, like a bride waiting for her groom. We pursue purity in active anticipation of our God as he comes, looking forward to our wedding day, which is coming. He said he's going to return. And so what we have seen and had to be content to see through the glass darkly for now, we will eventually see him face to face, and we will celebrate at the marriage supper of the Lamb in honor of our great God. So we really are the church of the living God, and that is a big deal. And the crazy thing is, that's just part one and part two of these four metaphors. And so I can say this with incredible confidence that it actually gets better. In case you thought that would be enough, and that would be enough, right? If that's all that God gave us, and he said, you are a building, you are my bride, it would have been too much. And we could have just bowed at his feet and said, thank you. But God has not been content to only say those things. He's actually ramped it up even further. And, and I, I get this, that yes, we are building, yes, we are a bride, but he has also made us the body of Christ. And here's this truth I want you to soak in your heart, okay? Intimacy with God does not produce passive people. Intimacy with God does not produce passive people. People who get close to God are set into motion. He always calls us into action. Now, I, I, I thought about this. It's almost like a, a, a planet as it rotates and orbits around a star. The closer it gets, the gravity sort of speeds it up. And I think there's a certain bit of that that's kind of true in the life of a believer as we grow closer to God he begins to set us into motion according to his will it's a powerful thing and so this is a great truth because what this means is we're not just a building that's a monument we're certainly not just his trophy wife right like it's better than that he has set us into motion he's called us into uh, service with him he's called us into a body that we might work together to carry out the work of God. And it says that Christ is the head of the body and that we are filled with the Holy Spirit in us like a glove, right? Like a hand fills a glove that the Holy Spirit fills us so that we can operate in perfect unity under the power of the Holy Spirit, under the control of the one spirit. Okay, we're going to get into this in a minute. We just read it together that inhabits each of us. We're individuals, yes, but we are each 
you know, you are as unique as a snowflake. There's nobody else like you. You were formed by God and fashioned to function, but you were fashioned to function as one. God has united us here together like a coordinated body under the control of Christ, you guys. We were like, think about this, we were like a powerful body moving in grace and strength and beauty that's healthy. This is God's picture of his bride, his building in action. And so when one part hurts, we all compensate. We feel it together. When one part celebrates, we celebrate with it. When one is honored, we celebrate that. When one is suffering, we suffer with it. Scripture tells us to do that. And so as we look at this, we're going to look at this whole concept that, that we're one, that we're gifted, that we're gifted to grow, and then finally we're gifted to grow and not for show, okay? <laughs> if we get those four things, we'll understand what the body is supposed to be. And so let's look at the scripture here and get this, and hopefully as we see this, you'll be able to understand what it is to be the body of Christ. Now, hopefully by now, as we've been looking at these, you've seen the way that Paul and, and the writers of the New Testament speak, uh, they're speaking on two different levels. There is what we would sort of call the universal church. Uh, now, the word Catholic used to mean essentially universal, and, and, and that word now means more than that, uh, and there are certain connotations that go with it, and so they use universal. Some people don't like universal. They want to say uh, invisible church rather than visible church, but for now, we're going to use the term universal, and what we mean is that all genuine Christians, as we talked about throughout all time, all right, but Ephesians 1.22 says this, and he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. That's Ephesians 1.22. We see a picture of the universal church. All right, and the local church, we see this as Christians. <laughs> we are all Christians in a local fellowship. And 1 Corinthians 12, 27 says, now you, now Paul, when he's writing to the church of Corinth, specifically says, now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. Paul uses both this, this, both of these terms sort of fluidly going back and forth between them. And so I, I, as you see this, you hear that, that what applies to the universal church, the church as a whole, also takes shape in a local church, a very specific body of people. Do you understand this? So, so this is crucial that you get this. So we are talking about the body of Christ as the universal church. We're also talking about the body of Christ here in our local fellowship. And so uh, this is cool. So let's turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And we're going to look at a couple of passages. We're not going to be able to get to all the passages that are referred to in the New Testament that talk about the body of Christ. It's so uh, ubiquitous throughout the New Testament. You see these passages uh, that speak of us as the body. So as we read it, some of this is in our responsive reading, you, you read some of these things, and we'll begin here, and then we'll add in some more scripture in a moment. So 1 Corinthians 12, 12, verse 12, it starts off like this. Now Paul is writing, writing to the church in Corinth, and Paul is, is concerned about this church. This is a church that's been Established and they're operating in gifting, but it is messy how they're operating. This is a church that, that came out of paganism, right? They were a very pagan culture. And in, if you know how paganism kind of works, it's all about appeasing the God of a specific thing. And so if you want to grow more crops, you would go to a God who's in charge of farming, a God who's the God of the harvest, and you would offer something to appease that God, and then you would get the gifts. And so there's almost like a a sense of, well, if there's one God and he works like this, how do we get all of these gifts? And, and some historians look back and they think like 
the people in Corinth were so motivated that they get all the stuff. They wanted to kind of work the room and get to all the shrines, so to speak, and get all the different gifts so they had the full-on you know, blessing of God. And Paul is, is in a, a certain way trying to coach them and help them understand how the Holy Spirit works in his church uh, as the body to, to move us. And so this is in response to some of the questions that they're having moving out of their culture. We should always be reminded of this. We should never let our culture dictate what we believe about what God is trying to tell us. We shouldn't let our past experiences determine that. All of that is revealed to us through the word of God. And if we're faithful to look at the scriptures, it'll show us what we need to know. All right, so 1 Corinthians 12, verse 12, it says this. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit... We were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, well, that would not make it any less part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. Verse 21 said, the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it. And there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored all rejoice together. So as we see this, I want to break down these, these four things I mentioned that I think we can learn from this metaphor that we are the body. And I think 1 Corinthians 12 really highlights this truth. And here's the first one, that we are one. We together are one body. And this is so important that you get this because it changes how you feel when you're here. It changes what you do. And, and I don't know, maybe this sounds like it might be too much, but Oneness means that you're not just welcome here, and we hope you all feel welcome, but I'm going to be so bold as to say, you are essential to us. We need you. And I would go even further, you belong to us. You're like, wait, wait, like, hold up. (laughs) I didn't decide this, (laughs) just so you know, not imposing some sort of thing, but here's the flip side of this. It means that we are essential to you and that you need us. It's very un-American to think this way, but it's true. You need us. We are essential to you. And, and here's the kicker. We belong to you. That's, that's a tough truth, but that's exactly what this scripture just said. I didn't invent this. This isn't my wisdom. God says that we are essential to each other, that we are one, and that means that we belong to each other. There's a oneness here that probably 
is a lot more than you thought. Like you, you thought, okay, church oneness, well, I can take it or leave it. No, God said, you are one with us. We are established as the body of Christ. And, and you might decide you don't need us, but that would be as silly as the head saying to the feet, I don't need you. Right? That's exactly what scripture is trying to get from us. We'll get to that in a little bit, but we get this, that we are one. The foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body. Well, that would not make it any less part of the body. So I hate to say it this way, but Paul said, it doesn't matter what you think, you are part of the body. <laughs> you don't have to agree with it. You know, I don't have to convince you. I'm just informing you. Like, this is the deal. You've got to come to the place where you acknowledge it. And when you do, by faith, acknowledge that God has made you one with the body of Christ on both levels we've talked about, the universal and local. When you get that, it's gonna transform how you think about church when you think about church. And when our thinking changes, our behavior changes. We need each other. It's not just we are associated with each other. It's not a luxury. This is not a benefit you can choose to take part of. We are needed here. And, and I'm, I'm gonna be so bold to say this. Without you, it doesn't work. Without you, it doesn't work. Certainly not as well. And we can use the body as an example for that. Now, unity is important. We got that. We are one. But unity is not an easy thing to maintain. And so as scripture actually points out that unity requires maintenance. It really does. God has established this by his grace. He has made us a unified body. He has done that supernaturally. And and. It, the, the, I guess the picture of scripture is this, that there's this responsibility placed on us to maintain it by giving grace to one another. Now, I use that word maintain carefully because we don't maintain something that God has already established. He's already done it. But to experience what is true about us, we have to actively participate in establishing that unity. Does that make sense? Hopefully you get this, that we're not, just because God has already done it, finished it, completed it, doesn't mean that we don't participate in it. God establishes unity in his church, and that's going to actively sort of come out of our lives as we begin to work together. This comes out in our other passage. If you want to also have Ephesians 4 open, you can flip there and kind of put a finger in there in both, because we'll be going back and forth a little bit, or you may want to. But Ephesians 4, verses 1 through 7, says this, and this is pointing how we maintain uh, the grace uh, to, or the, the unity together as we give grace to each other. Christ forgave us, therefore we forgive others. Here's Ephesians 4, verses 1 through 7. It says, this is Paul again speaking to the church at Ephesus. He says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. Eager, listen, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and father of all who is over all, through all and in all. Wow. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. So there's a lot in there that we could spend a month on, but I want you to sort of see this thing. He says, I want you to bear with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of this, in the spirit, in the bond of peace. And he, he mentions an attitude of humility and gentleness and patience, bearing with one another. You see, unity is important to maintain. It happens in our hearts, but unity can be disrupted. 
And it's, it's disrupted in a variety of ways. And here are a few that I think this passage sort of brings out. It mentions that we operate in humility. Well, the opposite of humility would sort of be pride. And, and you can see how in the body of Christ, if, if one part begins to see itself as more important than another, how that could create issues. Then you sort of get this me monster that rides up. And everything, everything has to be about me, me, me. And every conversation is about me and listen to me. And I want to do this. And I want, to be, I want people to see me, watch me. You know? And I want my needs fulfilled. I want my way. All these things come out. And when we function with that kind of pride, that selfishness that comes with pride, we find something very opposite to what God wants to establish in the church. We know through scripture, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And to help, help you make sense of this, listen, you can't even receive Christ as your savior beating your chest about how great you are. The gospel itself demands that we come on our knees and we humble ourselves before God and we say, I can't, you can. I couldn't, you already did. I need your forgiveness. In my pride, I can offer promises about all the things I'm gonna do in a future but that's not even the gospel. The gospel is saying, I have sinned against you, God. I repent of my sin. I desire you in my life above all things. And I'm willing to repent, change directions. I want you to, to remake me, start over. Just smush me like the clay, right? And let the potter re, refashion you into the image that God wants for you. And this is the, the process of salvation. And there's so much that goes with that. I could get excited and preach there for a while. <laughs> but let it suffice to say that that if you want to experience unity in the church, humility is a prerequisite. If, you want, if we want unity, then we have to walk in humility. Belonging to the body requires humility. So, just suffice it to say, there are no divas in the church. <laughs> so, that's kind of, you know, I'm, you know, sparkling in and everybody look at me. That's not God's intention. There are no divas in the church. So, the next one, we see that. Uh, it says bearing with you. And I, I think that to me, as I kind of meditated on what this may have been, meant, is that when I bear with another person, I, I'm really giving them the benefit of the doubt in a certain way. I'm, I'm, I'm trusting that even in their brokenness, that their heart towards me is good. I'm giving them, I'm bearing with them. I'm, I'm carrying a little bit of the burden with them. And I see this, that this is how this works. We have one spirit. We have one head. One Father, one God. And so if I trust you and trust your motives, that's the, I bear with you and all that. There's, there's a certain amount of trust that's there. The opposite of this would be functioning in fear. And I've seen this really hurt people in the church. Where if I fear your motives, I fear where you're going with this, I fear what you might say, I fear your agenda, I fear all of these things. Those things can damage a church. And guys, well, we understand this, that we don't have to be afraid because we have one spirit and one head who's moving us all, right? There's, that's beautiful. We don't have 10 different agendas here at Covenant. We have one agenda, and that's to be as obedient as possible to the head who is Christ. And let the one spirit be at work within us. And if we follow and walk in humility, according to the, the outline that God has given us through scripture, we don't have to operate in fear of one another in the church. We bear with one another. I think it's important. The, the third thing here is that eager for unity, he points that out rather than independence. I think there's a, there's a desire for us as Americans to walk independent because there's something prideful about that. When I can do it on my own, I'm my own man. Uh, there's, a, there's some pride that kind of fills me and not all of that is bad. We need to understand that God has made us in a way where you know, we can operate, where we don't have to be completely dependent 
uh, to do anything. But we understand in the church, God has established this body. And so you may have to act independently, stand alone in certain situations in your life. But on the whole, you are not independent from the body. You are walking in interdependence with it. So we have this eagerness to establish unity. Some of us, I think that sometimes this comes out, there's an eagerness to just sort of take my ball and go home. You know, I didn't get my way, so I'm out. You know, <laughs> and that, that eagerness has to sort of die. And we have to accept that, that this one spirit that's leading us where we accept that we are interdependent, not independent of his church. And there's some sacrifices that are made there. Independence might seem easier at first because uh, you always get your way and that feels good. And, and, and there's no accountability and sometimes that feels good. Unity always takes longer. It takes longer to get started. But once you do, you're far more effective and it's better in every way. And when you finally achieve what it is that you want, there'll be a bunch of people standing there with you and there'll be joy. And that speaks to this whole power versus patience. See, he kind of points out in here in this passage that we want my way. You know, in this this lack of unity comes out as my interest. And God wants us to have patience. He said patience. And that allows our heart to sort of engage in this pursuit of a solution over time. It's like if I'm patient, I understand it doesn't have to be everything has to be perfect right now. That I can be patient with you as we pursue a solution to an issue over time. And we can do that together rather than it just being me. If you just push everybody out of the way to get where you're going, you may get there, but you'll be lonely when you do. That's not a picture of the church. God wants us to have uh, this interdependence. So we get this, that, that God has made us one, and that, that unity that he's established creates this incredible bond. So much so that at the end of 1 Corinthians 12, uh, 1 Corinthians 12 says that, that we are the body of Christ, and that we are suffer, when one suffers, we suffer together. When one is honored, we all rejoice together. We don't have to fight for who gets honored. We just all rejoice in that. It's a beautiful picture. So we are one. The second thing is this, and I hope you get this. This is all basic stuff. I just want to say this. We are all gifted. We are all gifted. That may not have been what your elementary school teacher told you. And you may not have gotten to the, the gifted class. Uh, I did not. But... <laughs> No matter what they told you in elementary school, I have great news. You are gifted. You are in God's gifted program in his church. Isn't that beautiful? Like, you finally did it. I don't know. Some of you are like, this will satisfy a real need in your heart. But you're, you're one of the gifted kids. And uh, I think it's beautiful. And here's this crazy thing is that everyone is useful. Everyone is important inside the body of Christ. Everyone. Everyone. And I know sometimes we kind of come in here knowing that we've messed up and we've got a past and we can think of these reasons and some of us have already, like you've got it. You can pull it out of your pocket right now. You've already got your defense. You're like, I am worthless. I've got nothing to offer. I can prove it. I can, in fact, I can show you pictures of why I'm, I, these things. I can prove to you that I'm a failure. And, it, and I'm like, why are you in such a hurry to, to try and tell God you're useless? He just said you're gifted. Like this is awesome. I really hope that some of y'all will let that sort of self-defense thing that comes up and we're like, well, some people are, but I've blown it. Well, have you really? I don't think that's what God is trying to get across here. And by the way, this would be tremendously freeing to you that it is Christ in you that is strong. It is Christ in you that is strong. 
So all of your excuses, just like Moses at the burning bush, pointed to all of his physical weaknesses, bad habits, and everything else in the world as a reason why he didn't have to get called into motion. He got called near to God, and then he got sent out into motion. And he used every excuse he could have. I'm not good at talking. Words are tough. you know. <laughs> and he had several other reasons. And God was like, I can fix all this. You realize I made you, right? Like, I'm the creator. I can. You're not good at talking. Well, when I speak, universes are made. So I think we're covered there. I can make up for your weaknesses. I can, I can speak stars, these big burnt, you don't even understand them yet. They're these giant flaming balls of matter out in space. And there's gazillions of them. You have no idea. I can speak that. Why are you worried about your choice of words? I got this. And, and eventually, God calls Moses into action. So let me, let me just put this on the table. If you're saying, I'm useless, I have no use, there's nothing I know how to do, then there's one of two things that's happening. First one, either God is a liar, right? Because he said he's gifted his church, or you just haven't discovered your gifting yet. And I, I want to say this, as a church, God is, we're going to get to this in a second, but God has called leaders in the church to equip the members of the body for works of service. And so our job is to equip you and help you discover what it is that God has enabled you to do, what he's gifted you to do, and help you see, just like maybe a teacher in that elementary school class, wow, you are gifted here, like come in over here, like this is how God is working through his Holy Spirit. He wants to call us out into our gifting. Some of us don't want that because we understand there's responsibility that comes with that. There'll be sacrifice that comes with that. It may be more work that comes with that, and so it's easier just to say, I'm not gifted, those other super Christians are gifted, and you think that you're an exception to the rule. There are no exceptions to the rule. We are all gifted. You are gifted. Somebody need to say it. I am gifted. Let's do that. I'm going to say one, two, three, and then I'm going to say I am gifted. Here we go. One, two, three. I am gifted. That's good. You are. I hope you believe that. We're here to equip you. Now, let's look at what this means. Romans 12. You don't have to turn there. I'll read it to you. Four through eight says, for just as each of us has one body, it's another place in scripture, it says this, Paul, again, writing to the Romans, with many members, as these members do not have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. So we are all called into one body. We all have, have a gifting, but not all the same function. We read that. Like, just because you can't do something that happens on the stage doesn't mean that you're not gifted. We don't all have the same function. If everybody did the same thing up here, it would be a a horrible experience, <laughs> right? It would not be good. Like it, there, There's ways that God is organizing this. So I think accepting this truth is important. I'm, I'm gifted. I'm gifted by God. We are all gifted here together. Everyone is important. Everyone has value inside of the kingdom, inside of the body. And so I, I want to turn the corner here and say, if you're gifted, you're gifted to give, all right? You're, God gifted you so that you can be a giver. Gifts are given to be used, this is important. I just said you're gifted, and now we got to understand that, that we're called to put these into actions. We continue on in Romans from the passage I read the beginning of. It says, we have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. That's what it says. It's really complicated. We should look at a commentary and see what that means. <laughs> like, if, if it is serving, then serve. This is a great place. Some of you are like, I can't understand the Bible. <laughs> Be careful who you say that to. God, the Holy Spirit is your teacher. 
You reveal you understand a lot more than you think. Here we go again. If it is teaching, then teach. Paul's really trying to hammer this down, isn't he? If it is to be encouraging, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Paul's saying, if you have a gift, you've been given that gift to give. You're not gifted to just sit on it and be like, wow, this is nice. I'm gifted class. No, he's do it. Like he's saying, if God's made you a leader, lead. If God's made you a servant, serve. If God's given you mercy, then, then give that mercy. If God's made you a giver, then be generous. If God wants you to give mercy, then be cheerful when you give it. But do it. It's not just to sit on. We see that in so many places, and we don't have time to get into them all. If you're taking notes, you can find a list of the spiritual gifts in Romans 12 and in other places in 1 Corinthians 12 where you're already at. And you'll see there's a few different lists of, of spiritual gifts. I'm just going to throw them at you really fast. But prophesying, serving, teaching, encouraging, giving, leadership, and mercy. With a word of wisdom, word of knowledge, faith, healing, miraculous powers, prophecy, distinguishing between spirits, speaking in tongues, and interpretation of tongues. And 1 Corinthians 12, 28 includes healings, helps, governments, diversities of tongues. These are all listed in there. And it's important that you understand what they really mean, not just what it kind of, what you might, don't put your culture on those. As you begin to dig into them, you start seeing the, the, the way that the Holy Spirit wants to use those. But I want to say this to you. In the next year, as a church, we uh, who are are commissioned to sort of lead here, we feel led to create opportunities for you to discover these gifts. And so there's going to be classes, there's going to be some opportunities where you're going to be able to go in and discover how God has made you and how he's worked into your specific personality with the past that he's given you, with your history, uh, with your passions and with your, your gifts that God's given you, where he wants to mobilize you to serve. And we want to come alongside you and help equip you and train you to, to do the work that God's already created in advance for you to do. And so the first step is to acknowledge that, that we're all one, we're all needed, and that we're gifted. And then if we're gifted, that means we got to actually give. we got to use these gifts. So the third thing I want you to get is this, that we are gifted to grow. We're gifted to grow. Why is it so important that we do this? Well, just as the human body grows in maturity, strength, and stature, so should the church. And so I don't know if you knew this. But God has gifted you to be a part of that growth process. Here's where we get that in Ephesians 4, verse 11 through 16. It says, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro. You see this? He's saying you're going to grow in maturity so that we're no longer children. It gives you a definition here. It just gave you the definition of maturity. We'll go back. But here's the definition of, of being children. He said, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine or teaching, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather... Speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. 
when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. You see this? This is beautiful, right? So this passage, Paul is, is trying to say to the Ephesians, is that just like a human body grows, you've got to grow into maturity. You're functioning a little bit like a child right now who sometimes you've got to go over and like cut your kid's food, right? And you're like, you're going to eat this, but I'm going to function in and kind of handle this for you and, and, and deal with a few of these things that require some mature dexterity. Some of your high schoolers are like, yeah, I still, I still need that. I'm just kidding. Not ours. <laughs> just teasing. Getting some, some glares over here. But, but the bottom line is that God is saying that we are growing into maturity. You've got the gift in you, but it's got to grow into maturity. We as a body, God has given us everything that we need to walk. And the first chapter of Ephesians says we have every spiritual blessing in Christ. He has given us access to all of those things. But we grow into maturity though. So you are gifted to grow the body. And when we do so, it says that, that we build ourselves up in love and that we're no longer children love this. And just like a child matures, the church matures. And this is what we're, we're shooting for here. This is why we want to mobilize you guys and all of us working together that God will turn us into a mature body who functions with power and grace and strength and, and, and meekness and humility and, and being healthy. This is what we're asking God to do. And so here's kind of the way I'm saying it. It's time for us to start bodybuilding, Right? It's time for us to start bodybuilding. And, and there's a, a benefit to that because we can build one another up in love. And just to be quick here, I think it, it points to this maturity in this passage, points to a mature faith, speaking of a knowledge of Jesus. There's some of you guys who've never read the New Testament and you've been a believer a long time. Maybe that you're a follower of Jesus, but you've never read his biography. Can I call you into a, 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 a greater maturity and say, Will you read the biography of the one you've given your life to? And will you allow him to show you who he is in a different way? You've got Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Each of them, just like these four metaphors of the church, are, show a different angle, a different facet of what God is trying to talk about in the church. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John give us a different angle on all the facets of who our Savior is. And you ought to devour and read them all obsessively and fall in love with Jesus. If you're a follower of Christ, it's time for you to grow maturity. you got to do it. Like, you can't go out in our community and say, Jesus is the most important thing to my life and have never read the Gospels. We can't do that, church. We gotta get in the Word of God. Let us grow into maturity. We can't stay children, because if we are, we'll be pushed back and forth by every wind of teaching and every crazy doctrine that comes out, all the fads and trends. We'll be pushed around, and people are like, you should believe this. And I'm like, well, should we? And we're like, we have no idea what the Word of God says or who Jesus is. And we wear the braces, what would Jesus do, but we've never actually read the Gospels. Like, take that off until you've read the Gospels. Right? Dig in. That's not to call you out. That's to call you in. I want you to pursue this intimacy with Jesus. And as you find out how amazing he is, you're going to fall in love with him. And I'm not going to have to hold you back. All right? It's just awesome. So we grow in mature, uh, maturity doctrinally as well. So mature in faith and knowledge of Jesus. Maturity doctrinally. Uh, doctrine is not a bad word. It means teaching. And there's certain things. There's certainly things that are on the fringe that we will. I guess we'll probably seem like we're going to argue about until Jesus comes. Uh, and Steve says, well, I'll find out he's right. Maybe so. Uh, but, <laughs> but there are certain doctrines that, that are, are difficult and certain things that uh, certainly there are different people with different interpretations. Uh, but when we say doctrine, we're not just talking about this fringe stuff. We're, we're speaking of the, the foundational truths of what it means to be a follower of Christ 
who our God is and who we are. It's not something to back away from. It's to dive into. Not everyone's going to be like a, a scholastic theologian, you know, with 20 books out on a desk. That's not everybody's calling, I don't think. Although you should give it a try because you may fall in love with that pursuit of studying that way. That points you to a deeper relationship with Christ. But we grow in maturity of faith and knowledge and doctrine and wisdom. This ability to apply biblical truth to life in love. So we grow in wisdom and how we actually work this out. And God has equipped us for action. We see all that in that passage. Now, let me sort of contradict this. We're gifted, not contradicted, but share with you maybe the opposite of this. I've just called us into bodybuilding because God wants to build the church up in love. But what happens when we don't do any exercise? What happens when we don't lift, right? I see those memes. Do you even lift? You know, it's like, sadly, no, I don't. But I'm, I... Where's Joel? We're going to get started again someday, right? Yes, we got this. Okay, but what happens, <laughs> what happens when we don't lift is that we start to atrophy, right? There starts to be, you know, some, some, some weakening in our muscles. It's the phrase that, you know, people have said, use it or lose it. That's kind of the thing. And, and this atrophy in, in the church where the body is not doing what it's called to do, we start getting ineffective and we start getting unusable in different places because we haven't used these gifts because of neglect in our life. Now, God, I believe, and even in the church as a body, there's certain places of ministry that we've neglected that, that have become a little atrophied. But just because it's like that doesn't mean that we can't grow into what God has for us. I, I want you to think about this for a second. Is it possible? Is it possible that God has gifted you to do something that our church is failing at? And you're the one that knows exactly what we need to do. There may be people that we're called to that we're missing on. And he's, he's put you here to reach those people, to love those people, to connect with you. Like, is it possible that, that maybe where we're sitting there could be a little atrophy in some of our lives because we've not engaged and really belong? I, I, think, it, I think there is. And we each have to look at our own lives and say that, God, I don't want to, I don't want any of this to, to be atrophied in my life. I want you to use me in the full strength of what you are. And so finally, I'll say this. Uh, you're gifted to grow, not for show. And we don't have to spend much time here because I think it's said it all right there and you get the attitudes that are there. But Romans 12, 3 says, For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment and according with the faith God has distributed to each of you. Now, here's important. You're at 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Now, if you look just at the very next chapter, this is kind of mind-blowing. We sometimes get obsessed with the gifts. Certainly, that's what 1 Corinthians, uh, or the church of Corinth did. They were completely enamored with the gifts and, and lost sight of the why, lost sight of the Savior in certain ways. And it caused some of their, their, their pride and different things to actually be hurting their church because all they could think about uh, were the gifts. Now, this is where we get this. If in 1 Corinthians 12, 27 and 31, it says, you are the church, and he's, he's called us into uh, these different roles, but he's saying that, you know, are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, do all work miracles? And basically saying, no, we, we need to desire these higher gifts. But the last sentence he puts right here is that, and I will show you a still more excellent way. So he's saying, you've been gifted, you've been gifted to grow, you've been gifted to grow, not for show, I'm going to show you an even more excellent 
way that's even bigger than just your gifts. Before you turn inwardly, kind of looking at your belly button, I'm so gifted, you know. Like before you get lost in there, before you just sort of stand over in the corner and, and get enamored by your gifts, thinking more highly of you than you ought. Like I, Paul's like, can I show you something before you just be like, look at my gifts, they're better than yours. Like before you get lost there, Paul's like, let me show you something that's even better, that's even bigger, that's even deeper, even richer. And this is the whole purpose of all these things. He says, let me show you a still more excellent way. And goes into 1 Corinthians 13, which you have heard before because it's almost at every other wedding. It is what we call the love chapter. And he's saying this, listen, in the context of all this gifting, he says, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Look how gifted I am. <laughs> ah, you know, like we can do that. You're just making noise, man. It's not about you. You don't even love these people. Like, why are you being so noisy? We've all maybe done that, been that, seen that. Verse 2, he says, And if I have prophetic powers and understand all the mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have and I deliver up my body to be burned but have not love, I gain nothing. And he goes on in verse 8, skipping a little bit. He says, love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. He's talking about the gifts here, by the way. For we know in part, we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. The perfect is coming, and his name is Jesus. The perfect is coming. And the second you see Jesus, you will not be looking at your navel. <laughs> you will fall down to your knees. And all the gifts that you were given to be a steward of, you can point to what happened as you use those gifts. And we'll take all of that and be able to lay that at the feet of Christ as, as a picture of what he was able to do through his body. Isn't that beautiful? This is why we yield to him. It's our spiritual act of worship that he can move us like a body to accomplish what he desires to do. And our gifts are great, but the perfect gift is coming. It's not about us. Can I say this? You may be extremely gifted, but it's not about you. It's about God and the people he called us to serve. And this is, this is important for some of us to hear who love serving God. It's a great warning, even for me. Because I, I'm, I'm in this and I, I want to be useful to God. But I have to make sure I guard against this. If your whole relationship with God and his church is centered around your gifting and not God himself. Right? And the people God has called you to love, you are in for a shock. Because the gifts as we know them will pass away. The perfect will come. Your whole relationship to God is not just, look how gifted I am, because one day that gift will no longer be needed. I'll not be needed to preach anymore. I may still be sort of proclaiming the greatness of God as much as I can in my little corner or wherever God puts me, I'll be, I'll be doing it. But the bottom line is that the perfect is coming. And he says at the end of this chapter, what will remain is faith, hope, and love. The greatest of these is love. So we as a church, we operate as the body in unity and in love, but we don't ignore the fact that God has gifted us. He's gifted us to grow, and he's gifted us to grow and not for just show. 
And when we're able to operate in that with humility, we're able to operate with that kind of love for one another. There is a beauty, an incredible beauty that the world will see. And the scripture even tells us that we will be known by our love for each other. The unity of the church is one of the ways that it blesses the community around us. So we are the body of Christ. And the great news, he's not, you guys can come, we're going to wrap up. He's not left us on the shelf as a trophy. That he's called us into motion. He's called us into action to do what is impossible. God's made us the body of Christ and he will move in unity. He will. You got to yield to it. Or you can insist on working independently of him. Now, I want to say this. This is not some pie in the sky ideal for churches to kind of aim at. God wants to do this. This is what he wants to be normal for us. This is the normal experience. And I believe God wants us to flourish in this kind of unity. So if you need help finding where you're supposed to serve, we want to help you. If you need training to get ready to do that, we want to help you. If you need direction, we want to help you. So prepare your heart to take initiative to do what God has commanded you to do. Because here's the bottom line. Our community and this people that God's called us to do outside of our church that desperately needs us in the name of Jesus. Still more than 3 billion people in the world have never heard the gospel. And 25,000 people right here in our backyard never attend church. Drug addiction in our region right here where we are is like at the top of the statistics in the state of Georgia and really even in the nation. The second largest Hindu temple in North America is about an hour's drive from here. We're surrounded by people looking for hope. And God has called us as the body to get out and serve it. So how long are we going to fight with this whole idea that we are useful? God has said you are useful. So let's go. Right? God's called us. He's made us useful. He's given us gifts. He's set us into action. He's not put us on the shelf as a bride or a building. He's saying, come and be the body. I will unify you. Y'all, I have this picture of how... This church is going to serve out in this community. How we're going to bless people. People are going to come to know Jesus. People are going to be served. People are going to discover their gifting and begin walking in strength and in power. It's going to be beautiful, and I want you to be a part of it. I want God to use you. So instead of hiding from that and denying that, accept that you're gifted to grow, not for show. We want to thank you one more time for taking the time to listen to these messages that God's provided our fellowship. We believe he's doing something special among us and would love for you to be a part of it. We hope that you'll take the time to come and visit us in person someday soon. And we invite you to visit our website, covenantcommunitylj.com. There you'll find information on how to contact us if you have a prayer request or if there's a specific way we can minister to you and your family. Until then, God bless you.